In the days after she gets promoted to detective in April 2011, Julia Bowman takes a selfie. Lavender sweater, sensible black slacks, a shiny Laguna Beach PD badge on her belt, and a Glock 9mm on her hip. It's the kind of snapshot you take just for yourself, when you'd be embarrassed if your colleagues knew how psyched you are to be where you are, to have this gig. She's pumped because she enjoys solving riddles. And this missing person case she was just assigned, the disappearance of a rich young guy named Chris Smith, it's quite a puzzle. That spring, Detective Bowman's been flying back and forth to Michigan to help her sister care for her dad, who was diagnosed with cancer. Police work typically runs in families, but not in Bowman's. Her dad is a religion professor. He and her mother begged her not to go into law enforcement. And I think maybe it was a lot that she was just really worried and uh, for my safety. And then my dad sent me a like six-page typed letter of all the reasons I shouldn't be a police officer. And that really struck me because he was like my hero. Well, things have changed. Her dad has spent much of his life deciphering ancient texts like the Dead Sea Scrolls. But these days, he wants to know every detail of his daughter's investigation into the disappearance of this Chris Smith. And so I vividly remember having this case and then going back to Michigan and being in the car and telling them about this case. And then them both being very sure that this was suspicious and that Ed had killed Chris. And then every time I would go back, I would add a new little wrinkle to it. You know, and my dad was so interested. In World War II, the U.S. military put colorblind people in scout planes. Because they can't see a bunch of colors, their eyes aren't fooled by camouflage. They can see the shapes of things camo is designed to conceal. Bowman is like one of those colorblind spotters. And the deeper she looks into the missing person file, the more Bowman finds things that don't add up for her. Yes, Chris Smith had talked about wanting to make a lot of money and disappear and for years had entertained conspiracy theories. But to leave like this? Ditching his brother, his girlfriend, his parents? One of the things she looked at was Sergeant Calusa's interview with Ed Shin. I really appreciate Sergeant Calusa's interview style. I think I kind of do the same thing for the most part of a initial interview of a suspect. If you just let somebody talk and the interview is over an hour long, you're letting that person create their own story. Whatever kind of story they want to spin, leave that interview unless there's some some reason to, to arrest them at that moment. Go and check on all of the things that they've told me and then come back and do a true interrogation where you confront them on the things that they've told you. Looking at the tape, Bowman thinks Ed Shin is throwing up a smoke screen. I think he came off as someone who was just trying to talk his way out of something or share enough information that it would go away. He talks about how when he did cut himself, the, the blood sprayed all over the office, which doesn't make very much sense that that type of a cut would cause blood splatter. But it's, it's his way of in that moment now trying to put together a story where if I throw out all of these different explanations for why I had to clean the office and why it smelled so bad, then one of them is going to stick. 
Bowman thinks the gut feelings of a newbie like her may not carry a whole lot of weight. She's convinced she needs more allies, especially one with the authority to sign search warrants. The gold standard for something like that would be an experienced prosecutor who agrees there is reason to suspect a crime might have been committed. And Bowman wants to get to the bottom of this case. To her, this is all just too strange. What Bowman doesn't know is that it's about to get a lot stranger. I'm Matt Gutman from ABC News. This is 2020's Cutthroat, Inc. At about this time, Orange County had a senior deputy district attorney named Matt Murphy. These days, as it happens, he's an ABC News consultant. Murphy's a lanky 6'2". His blonde hair, now grayish, born and raised in Southern California, he's a laid-back surfer who morphs into a ferocious combatant in the courtroom. In almost two decades, he has never lost a felony case. That's one of the reasons why, in the Orange County legal world, Murphy is a rock star. By sheer luck, Detective Bowman crosses paths with him. I took a 40-hour homicide investigator's course Matt Murphy was our instructor. So I thought afterwards, like, okay, I should probably introduce myself, um, you know, and just kind of get to meet him. So I so I did follow where we walked out to the parking lot and I introduced myself and then told him, hey, I've got this, this case that I think is suspicious. She gives Murphy the elevator pitch of why she's convinced Chris Smith's disappearance seems so off. She basically backs me up to my car in the parking lot and starts giving me the what for about all the details of this case and why she absolutely believes that Chris Smith has been murdered and that Ed Shin did it. And it's one of those, it's like a scene from a movie where she, is, she gets the prosecutor who's going to make the call and she will not let me get in my car until I've heard what she has to say. Murphy hears her out. She talks for so long, he gets sunburned. That is, I love working with detectives like that. As a prosecutor, you love working with that because that energy is great. She's only been a detective for three months, but she is so eager and she's applying her common sense and she is convinced Ed Shin is dirty and she's convinced that Chris has been murdered. Murphy encourages Bowman to keep going and trust her instincts. On the other side of Orange County, in that sun-splashed office park in San Juan Capistrano, there's another person who's been looking into Ed Shin. Private Detective Joe Delu started doing it for an entirely different reason. When the 800 exchange abandoned Suite 123, the landlord says the company walked out on a $40,000 rent bill. So the landlord asked Delu to track down Ed Shin because he was the owner of the company. But after DeLu got Ed Shin's criminal record and learned that Ed's partner had gone missing, he started thinking he'd stumbled into a much bigger story. In June, DeLu comes across a blog called Mr. Shincredible. There's only one post, but it grabs his attention. Quote, I will publicly admit all of my wrongdoing. I have made many mistakes in life, most of them in business and a lot directly against my wife and family. I can't argue that God has blessed me with tremendous talents, but the issue hasn't been about execution or growth. 
It's been about taking shortcuts and looking for shortcuts when in trouble to get out of it. Ed doesn't say what he did wrong. Dilu has a hunch Ed's guilt has something to do with his missing partner. To look more into that, he wants the partner's families okay. So the private eye sets about finding them. And if you can imagine trying to find somebody related to a Chris Smith, it's a very common name. <laughs> and it was challenging yeah. a little bit. What I ended up doing is I ran the address of 800 Exchange. And that's when I saw Chris Smith, Paul Smith as being related to that particular address. So sometimes you get lucky. And we got lucky and I contacted Paul. And then I simply just asked him. Uh, we understand there was a missing persons report filed. We learned it was his brother. And he immediately said, you know, you should probably talk to my dad, Steve. And it was a very delicate situation. I remember feeling, how do you tell somebody that I think something serious happened to your son that's not just maybe a missing person? And immediately you get the response. Steve and Debbie Smith do fear the worst. But still, a year after they last heard Chris's voice, they cling to the hope their son is really just out there, searching for the ultimate wave. Delu has kids of his own and offers to help Steve find some answers. No charge, just one ex-cop dad helping another ex-cop dad. Consider it professional courtesy. And I told him it would cost you nothing. And he said, why? I go, because you should have this done for free. I just think there's a little more to it than what's presented. And we want to take a look. at it. Steve says, okay, but not for free. That wouldn't be professional. So they settle on a fee, a hundred bucks. It could just as well have been a million bucks because Delu never cashes that check. The Smiths tell Delu about everything they have done and send him the best clues they have. All those emails from Chris to his brother and his parents. Joe DeLue reads and rereads them. He starts bringing his work home, pouring over it at night. So you're sitting there literally in the dark in your bedroom with your wife sleeping beside you, yes. and you're sitting over the emails with a flashlight. Absolutely. So pouring over those The Smith emails. family hopes it really is Chris who is writing them. But Steve, especially, has had his doubts. That's why he asked questions early on that he was sure only his son could answer. Back on August 2nd, 2010, Steve posed these questions to Chris. What lake did you used to live on, and what type of boat did you ski behind? Chris replied, Kelly Lake. You might remember this exchange from episode two. The replies had reassured the Smith family it must really be Chris sending them. But now, more than eight months later, Delu notices something odd in Chris's response. The following email was, haha, Dad, if this is a security question, then I'll tell you about Kelly Lake. And that was the moment I go, he never answered the second question. He doesn't know the second question. He, I mean, you could talk about where you grew up. That's probably common knowledge, right? right. But no, knew the kind of boat to come back and the say The name that. of the boat yes. that told you as a wakeboarder when you were a kid. Yes. That's specificity, right? So then a few emails later... I see the question posed from Chris to Paul, and I put my finger. It's it's emotional. So this is it. He didn't know, and he had to ask his brother. So he posted a little different. He said, 
hey, bro, if this is you, I've been having problems with my email. What boat pulled a scheme when we were kids? And what car did I drive when I was at LG? And Paul answered it. So he's testing, he's basically posing a test to Paul, trying to verify that, oh, Paul, is this really you? If it is really you, answer these security questions. Yes. And you look at the questions that he asked. He didn't answer the first when Steve asked him right. about the boat. I can only imagine someone in that position going, I better figure this out. DeLu is now convinced someone else is posing as Chris, that the emails are not really from him. If that's true, then the whole journey around the world is likely a hoax. That hunch gets even stronger when Steve tells him about a discovery a consultant hired by the family has made. He took a close look at the hidden data embedded in all of Chris's emails. That's where the IP address of the computer that sent it can be found. It's not definitive, but Chris's emails seem to have been sent from inside the United States. Now that DeLu and the Smiths are convinced there is something seriously wrong, the private eye starts digging even deeper. He asks the building manager to let him poke around the former 800 Exchange office. DeLu doesn't know what he's exactly looking for in Suite 123, but he's got a hunch he'll find something. We go look in the office, right? When we're talking to the property manager. Mm -hmm. It's vacant. We're walking around with our flashlight. It's the end of June. Ed and the 800 exchange left in January. Nobody'd moved into the office in the past five months. The property manager had told Sergeant Calouse that the offices were in, quote, excellent condition when the 800 exchange left. But Joe Deleuze sees something they didn't. That's when we discover some blood, or what we think is blood. Everything has to be tested, but pretty much you know what blood looks like, and even if it's old. And I remember, uh, I go, wait a minute, if something happened- What Deleuze sees would have been easy to miss. A smudge on a light switch, and what looks like a small blotch on the door jam. To Deleuze's trained eye, it looks like something violent happened here. He knows it's not a case for a private investigator. This is a case for the police. So I contacted Detective Don Vogt in Orange County Sheriff's Department. And I had known Don. We went to high school together. So when I call him, I'm not going to call him crying wolf. I want to make sure that everything that I have is going to make sense. Because I would hate to put him in a position that he's embarrassed. I wouldn't want to be in that position with him. But I believe that what I... Deleu's friend, Don Vogt, is an investigator with the Orange County Sheriff's Department. If Suite 123 is a crime scene, his office will investigate. Vogt's a busy guy and a skeptical one, not the kind to jump to conclusions. This is how investigator Vogt remembers it. I, I kind of explained to Joe that kind of a, a stretch at this point to think that there was a murder that occurred there. Um, and Laguna Beach was conducting the investigation. So, The Chris Smith missing person investigation, that is. So Vote gives Laguna Beach a heads up. Detective Bowman hears about it. She's busy with another case, so she asks a couple of her colleagues to go and check it out. And so I said, can you just go to this office park and just kind of clear this lead for me? And 
a half hour later, I get a phone call that they've found blood. And that was a moment of stopping all of the other cases I was working on and saying, I, I am now absolutely, absolutely sure that something happened to Chris Smith. I knew it the second that I read the case that he had been murdered, but having that evidence in his office a year later uh, propelled me to then put that to the forefront of all the cases I was working So now there are two separate sets of investigators interested in what happened in Suite 123. There's the Orange County Homicide Detectives Unit and Laguna Beach PD. Vogt doesn't know that Laguna Beach's Detective Bowman thinks that Chris Smith was murdered there. And Bowman doesn't know that Don Vogt's been convinced to check the place out too. Here's how Matt Murphy describes it. We've got kind of, it's like an old algebra problem to translate the station. There's Different people involved that are working at this at the same time. You get Julia Bowman, who's like a pit bull at Laguna. And then, you know, separately, you've got Joe Deleuze, who goes and like starts poking around 800 Exchange, and he's the first one to see blood. Vote does know his old friend wouldn't wind him up with a crazy story for nothing. So one evening, he drives down to San Juan Capistrano to see what Deleuze talking about. It's dark in the old 800 Exchange office. They use a flashlight to look around. Vogt sees the dark brown marks that Delu points out. He knows that months of oxidation would have turned blood from red to brown. But after close to 100 homicide investigations, it takes more than it could be this or it could be that to get Don Vogt's adrenaline pumping. Still, it bears a closer look. And I said, yeah, it could be blood. Who, who knows what it is? But I, I saw the three or four drops that he was talking about. So I agreed to reach out to the Orange County Crime Lab and have them come out to the scene and check that to see if, if indeed it tried to be human blood. Laguna Beach detectives are already running those tests, but he doesn't know that yet. On July 26th, Bowman gets the results. It is blood and it is human. So the fact that when they went to the office, when Joe DeLue went to the office and our detectives went to the office and there was blood still there, uh, felt like the lead that we needed to kind of blow the case wide open. Some folks don't stop searching till they find the truth. If you've got a detective's eye, June's Journey is the game for you. Play as June Parker in a gripping murder mystery as you find hidden objects to help solve her sister's death. You'll hunt for clues in hundreds of beautifully illustrated scenes set in the roaring 20s. New chapters are added weekly. Find your first clue by downloading June's Journey today. Available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen. Cops from Laguna Beach and the Orange County Sheriff's Office now know that there was blood found in Suite 123. Okay, but whose blood? 
And how was it spilled? On August 10th, Orange County Crime Lab technicians arrive at Suite 123 to try to determine what happened. They wear protective suits as they swish their way into the room. Investigator Don Vogt shows them where to start. We came into the office and I had pointed out this possible blood drops to the crime lab and they had swabbed that. Then the crime lab did an outstanding job. Um, They had looked up on the ceiling and they had seen a couple drops of blood up on the ceiling with what we refer to as a tail, which indicated to them this might be some sort of a cast-off. Cast-off means that when someone is stabbing someone and the blood gets onto the knife and then you bring the knife back again and you do it again, then you bring the knife back, the blood will fling off the tip of the blade. Detective Julia Bowman is also there. They closed the door and they had sprayed luminol all over the inside of Chris's office, which would present any type of blood that was in the office and it almost makes it like a, like a fluorescent green color. Even if blood has been cleaned up or even painted over, invisible traces remain. Spray luminol on something, turn off the lights, and those traces will light up. And we walk into the office, they close the door, and the, the whole office is green. It, it's lit up like a Christmas tree. There's green everywhere. There's green on the ceiling. There's green on the wall. There's green on the back of the wooden door, the gaps in the hinges, and those marks on the ceiling. And it's when they pull up the carpet that everything changes. We did find blood underneath the carpet in multiple areas, probably uh, probably five or six or seven good-sized blood stains underneath the carpet that we had pulled back. So we know this isn't just someone cut their finger. There's a, there's a crime scene here. Everything changed when the blood was found in this office. I mean, we've got blood on the door jams. We've got blood massive amounts of blood underneath the carpet. We've got blood on the ceiling, which is significant forensically because somebody's either being stabbed or beaten repeatedly. Prosecutor Matt Murphy and the Orange County investigators think it's time to open a homicide investigation. You look at just from a common sense perspective, the person who is bleeding there died. And from that, then now now we're onto something. Now we've got probable cause for warrants and now things are starting to coalesce. And a missing persons report, very smoothly told by Ed Shin, becomes something way more sinister. And we've got, we've got blood at the scene of this business, which happens to be the last place anybody saw Chris Smith outside of Ed Shin and his story. And now we've got probable cause for warrants, and now the investigation is going to begin in earnest, because now we have physical evidence. Julia Bowman is sure she knows where that evidence will point, and she has a prime suspect in her crosshairs. She's already typed up a search warrant for Ed Shin's phones. The next day is August 11th. Bowman is in Prosecutor Matt Murphy's office with cops from Laguna Beach and the Orange County investigators. They're talking about a different case, another investigator's cold case. That cold case, Murphy tells everyone, still needs some work. But then he puts Bowman on the spot. And Matt Murphy's like, okay, Julia, go ahead, tell us about your case. So I was a little caught off guard by that, but I stand up and tell about my whole case. And I have kind of like a near photographic memory, memory, and I'd been invested in this for so many weeks. So I knew every in and out of every little thing that had happened. And I explained everything, thinking I've got to sell it the best I can. I have to give them every ounce of it so that they 
will think it's a viable case. Orange County's homicide squad is sure they have a murder to solve. But it's not until this meeting they find out how much work Julia Bowman has done to figure out the who and their whodunit. The lieutenant looks at Matt Murphy and is like, what do you think? And Matt's like, yeah, I'd arrest him right now. Murphy immediately signs Bowman's search warrant to get the records from Chris Smith and Ed Shin's cell phones. When she gets the results, she uses the cell phone company's tower locations to map out Ed Shin's movements during the days before and after Chris Smith was last seen. Now that Orange County has taken the case over as a homicide investigation, it's not her job anymore. Don Vogt and his partner, investigator Ray Wirt, are two of the best in the business. But Bowman just can't let it go. She's gotten invested in this case. She gets on the phone to Ray Wirt. And I said, hey, I got the search warrant returned. And he was like, you know, we need whatever information you have. Just give us whatever information you get from the search warrant. I'm like, I am. I'm giving it to you now. I said, but can I tell you, I plotted the longitude and latitude for Ed's phone. But for all the evidence they now have, Vogt knows this case has one big missing piece. Most cases that I investigate, we have a body. We had no body on this case. So that was unique. I've only had, um, I think, three other cases in my career where there was, uh, we had a homicide that we couldn't locate the body. Bodies do tell the story of what happened to them. The time of death, the location, a probable murder weapon. They can often show if the killer is right or left-handed. A body will sometimes yield DNA that points to who the murderer was. But with no corpse, what they think happened to Chris needs to be proven some other way. And so this is what needs to happen. They need to establish that Chris is in fact dead. They need to put Ed Shin at the scene. And they need to be able to show a jury that what happened before led to murder and that what happened after shows an attempt to get away with it. They want to be able to prove both to make a murder charge stick. But Vogt says those cell phone records Bowman dug up reveal quite a bit about where Ed Shin was going and when. His AT&T cell phone records showed him going from Orange County in the afternoon of um, Wednesday, June 9th, 2010, going from Orange County all the way out to um, Boulevard, California, which is about 170 miles, I, I believe, distance. And it was hitting cell towers all along the way. And we were able to... Boulevard, California. Sounds cosmopolitan. You might imagine the Sunset Strip, nightclubs, the kind of place Ed Shin might want to hang out. Not so much. Boulevard's got a name, but isn't really a place. It looks like the abandoned set of a Western movie. Old Highway 80 is the main drag, which leads the few miles down to the Mexican border. There's little to nothing of interest for miles in any direction. He was pinging, for lack of better terms, on a cell tower out near Boulevard, California, for about an hour, because there were two pings on that same cell tower, an hour apart, and then he made his way back to Orange County. That was very interesting to us, and that was it. One of those pings was at like midnight, and the other ping was around one in the morning, give or take a few minutes. What's he doing out in the middle of the desert on a Wednesday night, Thursday morning? Real no explanation for that. So, between the blood in the office and Ed Shin's late-night travels, investigator Don Vogt now thinks he knows what happened. Based on everything that I knew at this point, I believed Chris Smith had been murdered in his office, 
I believed that his body had been placed in the back of his white Range Rover by Ed Shin, and I think that Ed Shin drove Chris's body out to the middle of the desert and disposed of the body sometime over the weekend or maybe even that Monday. And when they locate the furniture that had been in Chris Smith's office, no easy task because it had been moved to another office, it matches what they found at Suite 123. We were able to locate Chris Smith's desk furniture in another location, and there was blood on it. Now, more than a year after Chris Smith disappeared, the investigation starts to move at warp speed. On August 17th, they surreptitiously begin tracking Ed Shin's movements. They worry that if something tips him off that the cops think Chris was murdered, Ed might try to run. Around the same time, Vote and Wirt interview Chris's old girlfriend, Erica. They ask her about her last contacts with Chris. He said, I'll call you later tonight. That was on a Friday, and I never heard from him. Saturday, I texted him a few times, like, what's going on? Are you okay? I didn't hear from him Sunday, Monday, Tuesday morning. I got an email from him saying, I met this girl. I'm in love. I don't love you. I'm moving to the Galapagos Islands. Don't contact me. You know, I, we're done. <laughs> and that was the last I ever heard from him. And they spend hours with Chris Smith's dad, Steve, talking lawman to lawman. Steve gives them chapter and verse of all the inquiries he and Debbie have made. The fake passport story, the emails, and how they believe they came from computers in the U.S. And why they are certain Ed Shin is lying about something. The investigators tell Steve about the blood they found in the office. But what they don't tell the Smith family yet is that investigators are now certain that Chris is dead. And at that point, when you get that, when we got that forensic report, there's no question that Chris Smith never left the country. Um, he never left 800 Exchange alive that day. Like, Chris Smith is dead, and our prime suspect is Ed Shin. It took seven weeks for this missing person case to become a full-blown homicide investigation by Matt Murphy's Orange County team. And even though the investigators are confident Ed Shin is their killer, they don't want to arrest him. Not yet, at least. They still want to tie up some loose ends, hoping to find Chris's body and to learn whether Ed acted alone. On August 28th, something happens that throws the investigators' timeline out the window. Ed Shin goes to the Los Angeles International Airport and gets on a plane. He's got a ticket to Toronto. He's traveling with his boss. He's carrying his Louis Vuitton bags. They board, settle into their first-class seats, and buckle up. He's on a plane at LAX on his way to Canada. Now, it was a business trip, but we weren't exactly sure at the time. So I gave the green light, rip him off the plane, and, and we're going to hook him at this point. And they don't initially tell him why they're arresting him. The cops do have a legitimate reason, that embezzlement conviction. Ed's on probation and can't leave the state, much less the country, without permission. Don Vode and Matt Murphy had put him on a watch list. So we called LAXPD and asked them if Ed Shin was in fact on a plane. They said yes, and that he had actually already boarded the plane. So we had asked them to remove him from the plane and detain him while we could drive up to LAX to, uh, to arrest him. We knew at this point that we were going to arrest Ed Shin for the murder of Chris Smith. We had what we believed to be probable cause to arrest him. 
in the next episode of Cutthroat Inc. The Orange County investigators finally confront Ed Shin. But I'm giving you your chance to tell your story. There's got to be an explanation, and you don't have an explanation for this yet. And try to get the truth from a man who spent the past year spinning lie after lie. What happened in that office? And what happened to Chris? I want to find Chris's body. His family wants to find his body. Cutthroat Inc. is a production of ABC Audio and 2020, reported by me, Matt Gutman, written by me and our producer, Richard O'Regan, produced and edited by Susie Liu and Oluwakemi Aladisui. Additional reporting by producers Tim Gorin, Sonny Antrim. Our editorial producer was Juan Perrin. Casey Tomchek was our production assistant. Additional support by Lydia Noon, Dana Schaefer, Jenny Goldstein, and Marwa Mwaki. Mixing and scoring by Evan Viola. Our researchers are Felisa Fine, Natalie Savitz, and Brad Martin. Special thanks to Josh Cohen and Stacia Deshishku. Terry Lickstein is our executive producer of this podcast, and David Sloan is our senior executive producer of Network Primetime Content. I'm Matt Gutman.